And chapter 10, we're going to start in the last half of chapter 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles today. It moves into instructions and encouragement to the people who are receiving the letter that's written to the Hebrews. Now, you'll hear me probably today talk about the author. And if you haven't been with us in the series, um, then I should tell you, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Okay, There are many scholars and just as many opinions out there as to who wrote it. So you'll hear me say that and not call by name whoever it is that wrote it. But I'm thankful that it's in the word of God and for our benefit. So we're going to focus our attention on verse 19 of chapter 10 and following. And the title of my message today is Eternal Security. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. We know that it was blessed when it was written, and it is blessed when it's received and absorbed in our hearts. God, I pray today that you would help us to be able to hear and to let your word fall on the good soil in our hearts so that it would bring forth a wonderful result and a wonderful product. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, look at verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brothers brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Somebody just read this out loud with me. For he who promised is faithful. Amen? Amen? Verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more, as you see the day, you see a capital D there, I'll mention that briefly, as you see the day drawing near. So it's important for you to understand if you don't know or you didn't have um, some sort of Sunday school training and understanding, the tabernacle that they went into to visit the high priest was broken up by sections. You came into one way. There was only one way in and one way out. You came in. You brought your animal for your sacrifice. The priest slaughtered it, sometimes with your help, sometimes without, sprinkled blood on the altar, then sometimes on the people as well. They offered up the sacrifice to the Lord. And then inside of a tent that was there, there were sections inside the tent. And there was a holy place, the Bible tells us in Leviticus. And then there was a holy of holy places or the most holy place. And in between those was separated by a gigantic curtain. On one side, the presence of God, where he was believed to have lived among his people in those days. And on this side, We're all the other people. One day a year, the high priest, like the chief of all the priests, could offer a sacrifice for himself and for others and go into the presence of God just one day. So now the author of Hebrews in verse 19, he says that we now have confidence to enter all of the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And it says in verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through that curtain 
And the author there tells us that the curtain is through the flesh of Jesus, that it's been torn for us. If you remember anything about the Easter story and the crucifixion, the crucifixion and the resurrection, there's a small little detail that gets mentioned every single time we talk about that. And that is at the moment that Jesus died, the Bible says something happened a few miles away inside of the temple. Inside of the temple, that curtain, very heavy, thick fabric that kept all of us from going in, it was ripped mysteriously and miraculously by God's power. And we see that as an opening for ourselves. That the Bible says that you've been granted access to God's presence. You don't need me. You can be in your car on the way to work. You can be on the bus on the way to school. You can be anywhere at any time. And the Bible says, if you seek him, he will be found. So this is, if we as believers can come to this understanding, I'm telling you, I really think it could change your day. It could shape your relationships. It could help you in your prayer life. Your life all around could be different if you would just understand that God isn't somewhere that you've got to go meet him, but he's with you and you have access to just, God, help me right now. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. He's stupid. Get him away from me. She's dumb. I need her out of my, whatever it is. You can mention those things that are on your heart. Lord, my, my wife needs healing. My mother needs healing. Whatever it is, at any given moment, you have been given access to God. And this is good, good stuff. So it says this, since we have confidence, I'm going to lay these out for you, which is because of Jesus, to enter the holy place, and since we have the great high priest, the greatest high priest, it says that we should do this. It says, let us draw near. I know too many believers who don't draw near. I know too many people who don't take advantage of this access. And the Bible tells us that we're to draw near with two different things. It says, with a pure or a true purified heart. And here's, here's what I would say to you about the purified heart. It says, as, as we're looking through it, it says, sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot, you say, oh, I've met a little innocent child and she has such a pure heart. No, she doesn't. It's just as sick and filled with sin as everybody. I mean, if you're a parent, you know, she might look good in pictures, but let me tell you, if you did a spiritual x-ray right there, come on somebody. So here's the deal. So the purity of heart is not something that you can manifest in and of yourself. You can't change your behavior today and make yourself pure by doing that. But you can be purified by an external source, by God coming into you and becoming that internal purifier. Doing good doesn't earn you a ticket to heaven. Only belief and loyalty in God gets you to heaven. And it's only through one way, which is Jesus, that that's provided. Um, I'll talk about baptism in a second, but I was talking to somebody recently, actually just the other day, and she brought up her religious background. 
talked about she went to a Greek Orthodox church and then she went to a Catholic church and her parents were this and she's got a best friend that used to take drag her, she said, to her church. And she talked about this wide variety of experience. And she said, you know, the interesting thing is that it seems like love was like the cornerstone of all of those religions. And so I stopped for a second and I gently, non-aggressively corrected her. And I told her that there really is no other religion, no other belief system on this earth that talks about God demonstrating his love for humanity in that he gave his true self to humanity to live in the shell like we are, to live without sin, praise God, so that he would not be marred by it, and then give up his life willingly and not stay dead, but raise to new life again, and he lives forevermore. There's no other love like that in the world, and there's no other religion like Christianity, true Christianity. That is true divine love. So how are we to draw near? We're to draw near, it says, with a purified heart that's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And I I think this is worth pointing out. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. If you're taking notes, you can write that down and look at it later. God says this. He says, I will take away their heart of stone and I will someday be able to give them a heart of flesh. There's a a transfer that happens, a transmission that happens. And so God wants to touch our hearts. But the Bible also tells us in that verse that with our bodies baptized. Uh, Some people have asked me, Pastor, do I have to be water baptized before uh, I die in order to get to heaven? Like, can you go to heaven without being baptized? The answer is yes. But if you've got time, get baptized. And we've got time, okay? We've got some time. As much time as we've got, we'll use it. And we've, we want you to know, even though you don't see one right here, we do baptisms in this church. We have a portable baptistry that we roll in. It's got wheels on it. And we set up a service where we do a giant celebration. And we we let people publicly declare their faith in God by saying that I am dying to my sin and raising to new life again. We've done it with children who are of age that they can understand what salvation is. We do it with adults. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized before and maybe you say, my life has been stale and I've been away from God for years, but now I, I want to make a fresh commitment, you can do that. There's, there's no problem with that. Your pastor's been baptized more than once. Three, three times, I think, total, that I was water baptized, okay? And I was baptized in a pool. I've been baptized in a creek. I've baptized people in a freezing cold creek in New Jersey. I've baptized people in the ocean in Hawaii. That was pretty amazing. Uh, don't you wish you were them, okay? But <laughs> We can baptize you here. It takes a little time to set up the tank. So let me know at the end of service today if you want to be baptized next Sunday, and we'll do it. The Bible tells us here, the author of Hebrews is saying, your heart's got to be right. But he also mentions this water baptism, which is important. And it has some significance for them too, because there was washing stations in the temple and the tabernacle before. So he says this, let us hold fast our confession the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I got to tell you, my God is faithful. Amen. Amen. 
Then it goes on with the instruction and says, consider how to stir one another up. <laughs> Have you ever known somebody who stirs up trouble? <laughs> okay, try not to think about those people right now. All right. Uh, I know somebody like that who uh, seems like nothing ever makes them happy. Everything is a complaint. They want to talk bad about everybody. And listen, if that listening ear that you've been speaking to has a running mouth, that's a bad thing. Okay. So, but this, the author of Hebrews tells us, this is how we're really supposed to stir one another up to love and good works. We're supposed to not neglect the meeting of the saints or the gathering together of those who are believers. And we're supposed to encourage one another. This is important because we've been granted access. We ought to use it and we ought to use it to the benefit of other people as well. We ought to encourage them when we see that they're down and don't say dumb stuff. Gosh, I'm so tired of that. The dumb stuff that gets said to try to help people. No, read God's word. Know what his promises are. You know, when somebody says they're having trouble sleeping, you don't tell them, hey, you know what? You should take five Benadryl and just go to bed. No, tell them what the promise of God says. Did you know the Bible talks about your sleep? It says it in Psalms. It says that God gives his loved ones, his little ones, precious sleep. So I'm going to stand on God's word and I'm going to say, God, I'm, I have sleep apnea. Lord, help me. I believe that you want to help. You say, pastor, is it, I mean, does he really care? Yes. He cares about every detail of your life. So the stupid things people say is, oh, time heals all wounds. The, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Time does not heal all wounds. Don't say stupid stuff. There's a God who can heal all wounds, amen, and can help you with those battle scars. But time doesn't heal all wounds. So encourage one another. Encouragement, yes? Okay. This is what believers do. They inspire one another. They don't neglect the body of Christ. And they encourage one another. I think there's a temptation. It's ages old, generations and thousands of years old. I was talking to someone this morning who might know a Sunday coming where pastor won't be here because I'll be out of town. And there was a joke. Oh, well, if pastor's not here, I don't know. No, here's the deal. Don't neglect meeting with one another. Don't neglect the fellowship. Uh, you know, we want you to help this July 4th, but here's the deal. We want to be together. I have found that when I am around people who love Jesus, I tend to love Jesus more. You say, well, that's hypocritical. No, it rubs off. That's a good thing. It encourages us. When we're serving, it encourages us. So be together as much as you can. In the fall, we're going to offer a small group that's going to meet in a house and be led on a weekly basis. Sign up for that when that sign up comes or happens because we want you to be engaged. Your teenagers need youth ministry. We're going to offer that starting on Wednesdays in August. We want that sort of approach. Chi Alpha, which is our college ministry, we tell those kids, yeah, you sit next to each other in class, but have you grown together in your faith? We want that to happen. So listen, you can complain all you want to um, about people you've met and maybe even some in this room today who failed in these areas. I know I failed to encourage someone when I, I should have. I failed to do 
to encourage them to love. I may have just jumped on their train and said, that's right, she is mean and evil and stupid, whatever. But encouraging them to good works, I've failed in these areas. But instead of having that perspective, which really absolves you of the responsibility of thinking about you, here are some good questions to ask of your own self, not of others. When is the last time you inspired someone to love and good works? If you, if you can't relate it within the last 30 days, it doesn't happen that often. When is the last time that maybe you just said, hey, I'm sleeping in today. And you say, pastor, you didn't mention that about yourself. No, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> I rarely, I'm here 52 weeks out of the year, right? Okay. But, and even on vacation, I think we've skipped church. Have we ever skipped church? Maybe once. Maybe once because of travel. But outside of that, if I'm in another city, I look up a church on Google and I find a place to go because I want, I want to see what they do. I want to worship with, with the saints together. When's the last time that you encouraged someone else? And I would say this about the encouragement. Be an encourager. Don't wait for the moment that someone is so broken that they, that they reach out and say, gosh, I could really use some encouragement and coax you into it. Be the person who lifts others up because Lord knows I don't hang out with the people who tear me down or tear others down because guess what? They talk bad about their wives. I'm going to start talking bad about my wife. Hello? But I don't talk bad about you, baby. Because I don't hang out with those dirt bags. All right, here we go. Verse 26. Okay, moving right along. Moving right along. Verse 26. Listen to this. This is so important. Today I'm going to teach you some theology that's based in these two verses. And they really are truly important. They are not alone standing by themselves in scripture. They are through and throughout all of scripture. Look at what it says in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, or another way to say that would be willfully, intentionally, on purpose. After receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Verse 27 says this, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So if you go on sinning, the Bible is telling us that you can expect judgment and a fury of fire. Don't anybody say amen right here because you don't want that, right? We do not want judgment and a fury of fire, but the Bible is really clear here and in many other places. Sinning in the present tense makes you presently an enemy of God's. Sinning right now, that's a present tense word. It's not the sins that I sinned before. I came to Jesus and I said, forgive me of my sins Help me to walk in newness of life. I believe in you. I accept your love and forgiveness. But here's the important thing to understand. Sinning deliberately right now in the present tense makes you an adversary of God. Now, you might not hear this message preached in other places, but we're a fan of preaching the word of God. And we try to remove all of our little biases throughout and just look at it for what it is. And that's what I want to help you with, because I want to address this thing, which is the title of the message. I changed it from yesterday 
to this, um, to this morning, and it is the title of eternal security. Now, the doctrine of eternal security that some hold is defined as this. It's the belief that the moment anyone becomes a Christian, they are saved from hell, and they can never lose or forfeit their salvation, no matter what they do. So, essentially, I believe in Jesus, I ask him to forgive me, and I'm saved, and there's nothing I do after that point that can undo that decision. They would say, I'm saved once, and I'm always saved. And that's where we come up with that phrase that you might have heard before, which is the belief, once saved, always saved. Some would call it unconditional security. But I want to tell you the truth of God's word today because it's almost every single promise. If not, I haven't found one yet that doesn't have a condition in scripture. God says, if my people turn to me, I will this. If you seek me, I will this. There are conditions all throughout scripture. So it's really important that we understand this because Regardless of how we were raised or what belief system that we held before, uh, my wife actually shared with me that she uh, is in a Bible study with a group of ladies. And uh, this week, they were talking about something in Scripture and related to this idea, and she just let them kind of conversate. And one of them actually said the words out loud that I got saved, and it doesn't really matter what I do now. I'm saved. That's a really dangerous place to be because that attitude then helps us cop out and say, I can do anything I want. I can listen, people. There are people on platforms like mine today, and I could read you some disgusting quotes from people with a title that says Rev, that says, I could sleep with a thousand women. I could do this and I could do that, and I don't have a chance of losing my salvation or forfeiting it. I tell you what, if you become an enemy of God's, he does not accept enemies into his kingdom, into eternity. It's, it's logical, but it's also common sense. We can't, we can't look at scripture and be devoid of common sense. So let me explain to you what I see in scripture today. And this might be just a springboard for you to look at other things this week and develop your understanding of it in a better way. Heresy is defined as beliefs that are contrary to the Bible, and this belief that I am once saved, no matter what I do after salvation, I will go to heaven, I believe, according to God's word, is heresy. Now, that's strong wording, but I have to say, the author of Hebrews and the total witness of Scripture says that Christ's sacrifice was indeed once for all. There's no other sacrifice that needs to be made It was once for all, but human choices are not once for all. Have you ever changed your opinion about something? I changed my opinion. I didn't like a certain vegetable when I was a kid, and now I eat it all the time. You might have something like that too. Uh, Well, I don't eat it all the time. I eat sugar all the time. But you know what I'm saying. I'm I'm just giving you the option to understand. Your human choices are not once and for all. They're not once and for all. My choice which is the free will that God has created me with, is not once and for all. Verse 26 and 27, let's read them again for emphasis sake, but just so that you understand. 
For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that consumes the adversaries. So look up at me for a second. Genesis, the first chapter of the Bible, in the first book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us this, that God created mankind in his image, that we are image bearers, that we were created in his likeness. There is nothing else on the other on the planet that has been made in the image of God except for humans. And why is that? God chose to create us like himself, that we would have a free will, that we would have the ability to choose. He could have chosen robots, and we might think that would be easier, but here's the deal. At some point, the robots would even rebel because they might decide that they want something different. So the idea here is that we were created in the image of God with a free will. And if you aren't sure what a free will is, just try to feed some toddlers some vegetables out of a little jar, and you will see them do all kinds of faces and spit it out and wipe it away and all that stuff, because they are determined they're not choosing that thing. So, that We can't let go of our common sense. Don't check your brain at the door when you come to church. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve willfully chose to disobey God and rebel. So if you are a believer, you have willfully chosen, the Bible is clear, for us to submit our lives to God. And this means that he makes the rules. I don't get to make the rules. It means that if I've submitted my life to him, that means that more than that, here's the awesomeness of God's grace and his goodness to his people, is that he says, I know you can't obey my rules. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. He'll strengthen you on a daily basis. He will give you help in your time of need. He will strengthen you in temptation when you face that thing. The Bible says very clearly, you've never faced a temptation that God has not provided a way out. That's another stupid thing people say. Oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. If you've read a page of the Bible, that's a lie. Joseph had more than he could handle. Moses had more than he could handle. Ruth, Esther, Naomi, they all had more than they could handle. But the word of God says he won't allow us to be tempted by more than we can handle. And he'll always give us a way of escape. The Holy Spirit is, is good and we need to choose him rather than ourselves. So if you chose to accept him, then you can choose to reject him. This is biblical and I'll show you some points here. So what do we believe as a church? This is what we believe. The security of our salvation depends on a living relationship with Jesus. I've got the reference there for you to just take note of that or you can take a picture of the screen It says this, if anyone does not abide in me, in John chapter 15, verse 6, Jesus speaking, he will be thrown away like a branch and wither, and the branches are all gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you don't abide in me, he says. So otherwise, there's a choice, not just a momentary decision of I walked an aisle when I was eight and now I'm good to go forever. But there's a choice there. And it says, if I've stopped abiding in him, that then he will cast me away and I will face judgment. Fire is always related to judgment throughout scripture, except for when it refers to God's presence. But even that is a fearful thing. The second thing is the Bible calls us to a life 
of holiness. It is not a single momentary decision. In Hebrews chapter 12, we'll get into that next week. The Bible calls us to this holiness. This is what it says. It says, strive for holiness because without that, no one will see God. So I cannot come to church on Sunday, live my life like a sinner Monday through Saturday, and then show up expecting to fall on the grace of Jesus and keep repeating that cycle because the Bible tells me I'm supposed to live holy. In fact, in another place, it says, be holy for I am holy. We talked about what holy means in the Leviticus series. Holiness is not, we say holier than thou and things like that. Holiness means set apart. It means for God. So is my life, is the speech, if you recorded the speech in my house that I speak to my wife and my kids, could I play it on a Sunday? Most of the times you could. Um, Most. (laughs) But here's the deal. That's the whole thing. Like, are we allowing God to help us live a life of holiness? He's given you an agent, um, a cleaning agent. I had somebody this morning text me a list of cleaning supplies that we need in the church because we're running short, running low on some stuff. He is the cleaning agent that you need and he's multi-purpose. He works on all the surfaces of your heart and he can help you. That's better than you're shouting, okay? Next, he, what do we believe? We believe that one's name, according to the scripture, can be removed From the book of life. You say, Pastor, I thought this was going to be an encouraging message. It is. Live holy. Encourage other ones, others around you to live like God wants us to live. And to then be proving in our daily life that we are his. Listen to what Revelation chapter 22 verse 19 says. It's a warning. And it says that God can take away your share in the tree of life and in the holy city. Which are described in this book. And God is not fickle. He's not up there going, hmm, I really don't like Brandon all that much. I'm going to take his name out today. No, God, God would not just do it on a whim. He is looking at those who are willfully choosing to not obey and who live in a pattern, a consistent pattern like that. And we risk, we run the risk, the danger of being cast away or having our name that was written in the book when we made a choice unwritten in the book or erased by making another choice. And the next says this, one who believes for any amount of time can fall away. Listen to what Luke chapter 8 verse 13 says. It's talking about the soil. And I prayed that prayer this morning that we would have good soil in our hearts to receive God's word. Jesus is telling a story about a parable of the sower in chapter 8. And he says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. When the wind and the rain come, when the storms of life hit them, they have not been at the place where they have planted themselves in the word of God with the people of God. So they're not strong enough to withstand that stuff. One who believes can fall away. I read to you out of Jeremiah chapter two last week, talking about God actually saying, I'm tired of my people backsliding. They are sliding away from me, getting away from me. So the Bible tells us that number one, salvation is available For everyone. 
I'm so glad. And when I've taught students this in different environments, I use the example and I say, God can save a rapist, a serial killer, a child mol- Like God can do anything he wants to. And that salvation is available for all if we but seek it and live according to it. Listen to what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So everyone can repent. You should look up David Berkowitz on YouTube. You can find out this guy, he went by the name Son of Sam. He believed that the devil himself, essentially, was telling him who to kill. He ravaged New York City back in the late 70s, early 80s, I believe it was. And he has come to salvation. Leads a growing, thriving Bible study in prison. God has done a radical change in that man's life. And he has murdered numerous people. But I believe with all of my heart, as he stays on that straight and narrow, thin path that God has laid out for him, I, will sell it. I might not meet him ever here on earth, but I will be his neighbor in heaven. Because God is good like that. This is, it's, it's better than you think. Number two, salvation is received and kept by faith. Philippians 3, 9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, thank God, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Number three, salvation is adversely affected by continued sin. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, which we read a few weeks ago. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Number four, salvation is forfeited by rejecting Jesus. For if we go on sinning, what we just read twice already, deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there then no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So let me be clear. God is not fickle. I gave that illustration a moment ago with Brandon. He will not cast you away from his presence without cause. The Bible says that sin is the cause. He won't allow that in his presence. And he doesn't want it in your life. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David. You may not know much about King David. You may have heard some stories about him and Goliath. There's a story that's really disgusting and heartbreaking that happens in David's life. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel. But essentially, David commits adultery. He goes to another woman who's not his wife and commits adultery. And a prophet is sent by God. His name is Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and tells him a story which relates to his life. And he says, David, you're the man. Not not you the man. You're the man I'm talking about in this bad story. And this is what David writes in Psalm 51 as he pleads for God's help. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is not all he said. This is verse 11. But the rest of that, he pleads with God for forgiveness. He says, God, I'm so sorry. I've broken your laws. I've sinned against you. I have done what's not approved by you. Please forgive me and don't cast me away. I need you. I believe one day, On the streets of glory, 
you'll get to meet King David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, yet he was an adulterer. And a murderer, if you want to add that to the list, because he conspired to kill her husband. So this is important for us to see that God's grace and his forgiveness extend to the dirtiest of sinners, but it's also not something to be trampled on. A biblical statement in modern language would be this. I am as eternally secure as I want to be and work to be. Because you cannot attain salvation by works. It's nothing that you do that earns God's love or his salvation of you. But your salvation is maintained by your faith in him and the works that demonstrate that you're his kid. So I know this is a lot that we've unpacked today, but, and I'm not trying to preach against some other church sort of thing. We are just in a series of Hebrews and hit this spot. But I think it's so important that you understand if I've chosen to put myself in God's hands, then I can choose to leave it if I want to. I shouldn't. And I'm encouraging you not to ever leave the hand of God. But there is a way to do that. And that is chronic and consistent sin. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1 says as the worship team comes and joins me. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 to 16, it says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, that, that means kids that do what they're told, we are to be obedient children. It says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We could say you're the, the former life before you knew and met God. So don't go back to that stuff. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and there's a quote there from the Old Testament. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now you notice, I didn't preach about a specific sin today in this talk about holiness. Because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's here today and he's in this place. He's in me and he's in many of us, if not all of us. But I, I want to give you the opportunity to understand that we can't continue to slap the Holy Spirit in the face, as it were, by continuing chronically in a pattern of sin and expect him to just be like, oh, you're my favorite. You're the best ever. We've got to expect that God is a God of justice and that he casts away that which displeases him and doesn't conform to what he's requested. But it's so good that he gives us what we need in order to come to him. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story and you might have heard it or be familiar with it. It's the story of the prodigal son. The son asks his father for his inheritance. Basically, he says, dad, I'm, I'm cashing out. I need all the money. I'm out of here. I'm not going to live in the house anymore. I'm going to go make it, make a go for it myself. And the son goes and he squanders all of the money that he's been given. His entire life's inheritance, he squanders away. And at some moment, he, he finds himself worse off than he imagined. And the Bible says this amazing statement. It says, and he came to his senses. 
he decides to return home because he says, you know, even the servants in dad's house have a better life than what I'm living right now. So if he'll take me back, I don't even expect to get back in my bedroom. I don't expect to be back in his good graces. If I could just work in his house, be provided for, be safe and be protected, I'll be a servant in my father's house. Let me just start heading back home. It says that as he returned home, he was still a long way off. Notice he was a son when he was at home and when he was away, but he had to come back to be welcomed into the household of faith again. And this is so important to understand. It says he returned home and while being a long way off, the father saw him and it says he had compassion on him and he ran to him, embraced him and they had an epic celebration. I've heard someone using their imagination because it's not listed in scripture like this, but imagine the father sitting on the front porch every day looking down that long driveway saying, yeah, okay, do that over there. Okay, yeah, I'll be in at dinner time. I'm just, I'm just out here waiting to see if he comes today. The image that Jesus gives us in that parable is the image of the father himself who waits for us even those who have backslidden, who have not lived for God for years, who have given themselves over to the passions or the lusts of the flesh, but want to return sincerely and say, God, forgive me. Just like David, we can come back. We can come back home. The father said these words, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. We sing songs about that, amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's a reference to this prodigal story. And that can be your story. Say, pastor, why did you get baptized twice or three times? Because there was a time in my life as a teenager that I ran from God. And I'm telling you, ran faster than a Mustang can drive. Ran from God. Ran from the calling that God had in my life hung out with friends I shouldn't have hung out with, did things I shouldn't have done, showed up to church with a smile on my face because my parents made me, but in my heart, I was nowhere to be found close to that place. It took the love of the Father to reach me and to convince me of his love and for me to know that he would take me back. And I said some stupid things in those days, but I'll never forget in the moment of returning, saying, God, if you'll take me, you can keep me. I'll be yours. There's a moment in our lives that we all face. You may have faced it already, or you may face it some other day where there will be a temptation to not believe in his goodness, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy. But I encourage you today to come home. The Bible's clear that we can't live how we wish to live We must live how God wishes us to live. So I tell you today that you can repent in this moment. Right now, you can come home. If you say, Pastor, don't tell me because, I mean, I care, but I can't do anything about it because I'm not the priest you need. Come on, somebody. You need to say, Jesus, I've been away from you. My heart's not been focused on you. 
I've been giving myself to this person, this other thing, my career, these other things have gotten in the way. But today I declare I'm back and I'm back for good. God's going to have an epic celebration when he receives you back into the family today. If you are here and maybe there's somebody here today and you've never made that decision to accept God's love and his forgiveness for your sins and to get that gift of eternal life that he wants to give you. Sometimes we make it sound easy, like all you have to do is say a prayer, but that's not true. You have to believe in your heart and then you have to live like it after the fact. And sometimes that's really hard, but God will give you the strength. If you're here today, I want you to choose to make that decision today. Would you close your eyes? The worship team comes up at the end of all of our messages, our our service times, and they play in the background as I just give you this encouragement or call. If you're a believer and you say, there's an area of my heart I've kept from God, I wanna give it to him today. With your eyes closed, slip up your hand. I don't care what it is, but God does and he knows there's an area of your heart and you say, Father, I'm not living for you in in the way I should, then you need to own that today and ask him for his grace and forgiveness. Several hands went up. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never made that commitment. I've never said that I trust and believe in Jesus and never given him my whole life. I'd like to do that right now. Can you slip up your hand? If you're here, I'd urge you to make that choice right now today. If there's anyone like that, It's always a good day to come home. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, it says that love covers a multitude of sin. Your love can cover all of my sin, all of everyone in this room and everyone in the world if we would but accept it and then live with thankfulness and the intention to please you. Father, in this last song, as we commit ourselves, Lord, help it to be something that doesn't just happen today in a moment, but help it to be a decision that we make to make that step towards you, even tomorrow when the hard times come, when that temptation comes again. And Lord, help us to remember to inspire others to love and to good works. Lord, help us to stir one another up and encourage one another. Jesus' name.